Hey TCA fans, my name is Sarah Britsky and I'm here to welcome you to the TCAU podcast. We are pursuing a classical Christian collaborative education together. And today I am here with Abby Anderson and she and I are going to talk about reading in a classical school specifically at TCA. I love talking to Abby about this topic because she is, uh, she was trained as a classical educator and she taught in a classical school in Illinois before moving to Omaha. And she was instrumental in starting TCA. Now she's a TCA co-teacher and she also is serving at TCA doing work with grammar school curriculum. So I'm so excited to talk with you today, Abby, about reading and what we're really striving to do as we read at TCA and how that might be different than the ways that we read in school. Um, so specifically, I just kind of want to kick us off with saying, I think that we need to think about reading really well as co-teachers and as teachers on campus, because we, at least I know that when I was reading in school, um, and even now, as I pick up a book, I often am looking to be either entertained or to get practical training, to get information. And I think we're after something a little bit different when we pick up a book in school at TCA, right? Um, I know when I was in high school, especially, I read to get information for a test. And even when I taught in a public school, I often gave quizzes and tests about the reading and I had to do that to get students to read, but something was really lost in that. Um, I also read to analyze and I'd have to write a paper. So I was thinking about criticism and uh, trying to figure out like an angle to talk about. And then also, I just love the books that were entertaining, right? So um, books that kept me engaged and I found a lot of pleasure from those books were fun. But I think we're actually trying to build on that at TCA um, and think about how to offer our students something more than mere training or education. Um, so I think what we're looking for in reading is actually to give our students through the books they read an enhanced life and an entrance into the great conversation. So how have you seen that in your educational uh, areas? And even as you think about, you know, just being at TCA and helping guide the curriculum and instruction. Mm. Yeah. I love thinking about these things with you, Sarah, and it's fun um, to apply that to our context. The um, idea of be learning, um, even learning to read the way it starts in grammar school. Um, I think about working with little students, like younger students and them, uh, it being so much work uh, to understand the beginnings of how to read. But then when that um, switch kind of flips and they are reading for enjoyment and reading um, for the love of it because they can, and you find them with the flashlight, you know, in their bed for the first time, because they want to <laughs> keep going. Um, there's a freedom you've opened them up to, to go beyond the mechanics of the phonograms and putting them together. And so I think there's a vision um, for our students at the rhetoric level of getting to that place of freedom as well, where they're not <laughs> limited by the question of, do I do I like this book? Uh, does it entertain me? And do I need this? Where, where's this going to be on the test? You know, where, where's the question or where's the paper that I have to write, but they are freed, um, to be making, um, having a greater conversation about the text from, from the past and also, um, asking questions of themselves coming underneath the text. And so thinking about what does this say, um, about morality and virtue. And, um, so I just love that category of being free, um, mm. to access that. Yeah. Um, I think, cause I think you're even, I often forget about what it's like to start at the very beginning when students can't read because I have toddlers and I mostly work with upper school students, but thinking about, um, in grammar school, really, you're just trying to get students to a place of enjoyment, which is not where you want to leave them, 
Um, and many of us, I think, still think about like, oh, I only want to pick up a book if it's enjoyable to me. But but that's actually a huge win originally when the kids mm-hmm. get to enjoyment from from phonics to like, oh, this is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, how else do you think about enjoyment of reading in those younger ages? What do you think we're after to get the students prepared for the great conversation that comes later? Mm. Yes, I think part of what frees them to delight is good stories. So being a curator Mm. of um, stories that look at, um, you know, what is good and true and beautiful and helping students see um, the ways that uh, they can learn and delight in um, the story and the narrative. And so Mm. we we cultivate um, good opportunities for that through beautiful picture books, um, Mm. through things that can relate to what we're learning. Even, um, I think about in history, how we are trying to always pull beautiful picture books because that enhances and creates connection, um, Mm. in ways that we delight in what we're learning on a deeper level. When we have a connection to a character and we think Mm. about what that setting was like and how that impacted, um, the characters in our book. And so, um, I think it helps make, uh, we delight in the connection and we delight in the ways that um, our learning is integrated with our lives and in our enjoyment in our home. Um, and I think so much of that is uh, heavy on the parent on the early years because the students are still working to read. And so if I'm delighting in the book and I can read it out loud to my child, it's contagious, right? And so as I love the book and as we read it together, we're having a shared experience um, around story that is doing something to all of us in that moment as we're um, coming underneath the book and the story. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, makes you think about two things. One, just that, you know, some people actually don't even in, enjoy reading a story. And so if we've done that in grammar school, that's a really strong foundation and that's mm-hmm. a win. And so when you think about what do you want for your students in grammar school, you you want them to delight in and enjoy stories and, and to see in them what is good, true and beautiful. So the conversation that comes from that is helping students see like, what was there to enjoy? What is there to celebrate? Um, I just read this GK Chesterton quote about how fairy tales are so important because students or kids know that there's bad in the world, but in fairy tales, they see that good can overcome the bad. Mm. And that's like the first entrance into the gospel. Mm. Um, when you think about story is we're giving students the desire for that narrative of things coming out right in the end. And that's Mm -hmm. the narrative we're longing in as Christians. Um, so love that vision Mm -hmm. for grammar school. Um, and, and so if they have that foundation, then we're thinking about, okay, in logic school, hopefully we have students who enjoy reading, who can enjoy a good story, who can start to, um, desire to see good, true, beautiful things happen in a story and therefore in the world. And so then in logic school at TCA, we're, we're going to push students beyond that. So even thinking back to our original statement that like, we want to do more than just entertain, um, and students in logic school are starting to build connections outside of themselves and between the different things they're learning, you know, they're making logical connections, they're understanding more deeply. And so in logic school at TCA, we're picking texts that we hope still delight and that students can still enjoy. In fact, that's one of the criteria for the books that we choose, but we're also trying to choose books that help students make connections specifically with history. So we're picking books about the historical time period, almost exclusively uh, because we want students to, to have their historical worlds come alive. We want their subjects to connect. Um, and also we're trying to give students um, to begin not just enjoying the stories because we know they can do that, but also to making connections to their own world. Um, and so a lot of the books that we choose in logic school have questions of ethics and morality, not, not tough things, but like, Oh, did that, who is the hero and mm-hmm. how did the student or how did the character, um, make that decision? Was that the right decision? Who is virtuous in a story? Um, and those are all logic level skills. Um, yeah. How would, how do you think about that for those a little bit older students or what are you hearing in that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think there's um, an opportunity for them, for a student in the logic phase to be um, using the skills of reading to acquire a lot of information and that mm. um, that mm-hmm. that is a really huge gift for them. They are able to soak up. I think about um, students that get really into something, you know, they get really into World mm-hmm. War II and they're reading all the books and um, they just can't stop. They're just like an information sponge. They want to soak it all up. Um, they have gotten to that point and it is enjoyable to mm-hmm. them. The enjoyment layers on the information gathering because they had that foundation. And so mm-hmm. um, we are hopefully seeing there be a delight in the learning, but there's also the freedom then if there's not, if you're not into World War II and it's <laughs> difficult to engage with some of that text, we have a category for, um, we honor the the knowledge itself. And so we're honoring um, this time in history by applying mm. our minds to it and using our brains for reading. And it's, it's okay that it's not your favorite thing because we're not stopping with delight. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not only choosing to read things that are entertaining or are easy or are our personal preference. Um, mm. And so I think of logic as a great uh, stage for kind of exploring, hopefully layering some of that in different areas. Sometimes your uh, delight layers and sometimes you're seeing the ways that mm. um, you don't need to enjoy it in order for it to be valuable. Yeah. And I think you're speaking to what a lot of parents feel, especially in seventh and eighth grade, because some of the reading stops becoming so very enjoyable. And part of that is, you know, you see a shift in students whenever you enter a new season of learning, you mm-hmm. always see students sort of resisting. I even think about in my own personal development, when God calls me to something a little bit more to having another, you know, having two babies at once mm-hmm. or, you know, having to do something difficult. I always resist it. I just want mm-hmm. the safety of what came before. And I don't think we should be surprised to see that in our students. Really, even though TCA has grammar, logic and rhetoric, that pivotal time when students are kind of, we're, we're pushing them into a little bit more difficult reading is Mm -hmm. in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in seventh grade, we're intentionally asking them to start accessing primary sources or things that were written in the time period in history. And that means that they are more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, But also what we're doing is we we're really intentionally offering the students the tools for how to read those texts. So we're going slowly, we're reading aloud, we're talking about them, um, having that dialectic conversation that's, um, that is so important in logic school. But what we're trying to give them in that Mm -hmm. is the actual reading skills to access what comes next, to Mm -hmm. access the great conversation. Mm -hmm. So there's even a parallel there with like, what's so hard in grammar school is going from phonograms to words Mm -hmm. from putting the pieces together to true enjoyment of the story. I think in logic school, you're going from, okay, now I like a story, but can I put that, can I add to that and think about life and think about how this enhances my life and how can this text actually give me something mm-hmm. to understand myself and others more richly. Um, mm-hmm. So I've just seen that connection of like, there's a pain point before students can really read fluently. Mm-hmm. And then there's a pain point before students can read fluently at more difficult texts before mm-hmm. you can really get into the part that's enjoyable and life-giving. I don't know. Yeah. What do you hear in that? Yeah. Well, and it, it just reminds me of the, how we have such a bigger vision for the kids than just this unit or just this year or just this um, section of learning even because we're, we're hoping to be forming Christians who are reading their whole lives. And the mm-hmm. Bible is a historical difficult text. And so we want um, students to become f- increasingly familiar their whole life with mm. um, approaching a primary source and approaching um, a, a historical context that's unfamiliar and having the tools and the desire and the ability to mm. come underneath that and to think about those things and join the the conversation of their faith um, with fellow mm. believers over time. And so I just, I love how it's bigger than just mm. knowing facts about a time period. It's about forming a person mm. who is able to be a reader um, in order to, you know, become a person who loves God more fully and deeply. Well, and so then I think I see the connection of, right? So if in grammar school as Christians, we want students to delight in a story that comes out right and have Mm -hmm. a longing in their heart for that. In 
logic school, students are actually starting to see how the gospel is or is not present in the text that they read. I think about Old Man in the Sea, which students will read this year. And um, whenever you read that with a logic school student at the end, Santiago has given his life for a worthwhile thing but he doesn't achieve it. And so there is this leftover longing um, and he actually dies. Well, you don't know if he dies or if he's just sleeping. I think he's dead. But at the end of Old Man on the Sea, the man is lying with his arms splayed out in the sand like a cross Mm. with this longing left of like, he gave everything and it wasn't achieved. Mm. And seventh and eighth graders will see, oh, that's that's the longing we see when we see Christ on the cross, because mm-hmm. although it's finished, it's not yet, we're not yet to the full consummation of when it will be truly finished and we will be with Christ forever. And so in seventh and eighth grade, mm-hmm. we start to see those gospel pictures and it creates longing for us in a new way that's deeper than it was in logic school. Um, then in grammar. Or then grammar school. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And then I think in rhetoric school, what we hope is that students are actually thinking about how that can be applied in their lives. They're mm. thinking about, okay, how does this actually translate to my day-to-day experience? Um, how does what I'm reading change who I am? How does it shape in for me um, in, in virtue and in a better life, right? So this is where I think if we have the grammar of delight and enjoyment, we have the logic of making connections and reading more difficult texts in rhetoric school, we can truly think about how does this text enhance my life? Um, How does it tell me something about myself and others and life as it is, right? How does it help me to live in reality well? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's the really exciting thing about hopefully where students are getting. And then as parents, we get to come alongside because we still care about those questions. That's Mm -hmm. the lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. Well, and increasingly the rhetoric student then is joining the great conversation alongside the parent. Like the parent hopefully is thinking about these things and interested to engage, um, with their peers and also with their student in a, in a sense of, um, the, the question of how the gospel would inform, um, characters in a story or even, um, is, is what the story is saying true? Like even mm. asking the question mm. of, we have a, mm-hmm. a baseline foundation of the gospel. We understand the story. We know how to um, make connections and apply. And so now we can actually read things that we disagree with or mm-hmm. things that don't actually align with our worldview and be mm. um, able to analyze that and look at it from a different perspective um, alongside adults as, mm. as we're growing up into our faith and into ownership of how those uh, pieces relate to each other. And I think that's really interesting um, think about doing that alongside the parent and how it's so important, how historical texts, I think we sometimes like don't want to read the Scarlet Letter or Paradise Lost or because they're hard, but if we can access the story and the historical context, which in that they're written in, what it actually does is it helps us to access a larger truth that has maintained over time, if that makes sense. Mm. So like we can read a whole bunch of things that were written now and, and find a lot of truth, goodness, and beauty, but it all kind of looks like an arrow pointing in one direction Mm -hmm. because of our cultural narrative. And we don't even know that unless we read things from different time periods and see what the culture said then Mm -hmm. um, and to see what's still true. So I think about like with the Scarlet Letter, which was written in um, 19th century, Nathaniel Hawthorne. I read this with sophomores last year and it's actually all about romanticism, which is doing very (laughs) not giving a great definition, but it's romanticism Mm -hmm. is doing what you feel, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, Oh, your Mm -hmm. feelings are the most true thing. And that is in the Scarlet Little contrasted with guilt and doing what God mm-hmm. asks us to do and confession, you know, penance versus confession and all of that that is still so relevant now, but to see it in a different historical context mm-hmm. makes you ask different questions and then to get to the truth that exists now, both now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think to read these books that were written a long time ago and see what is still true, what is still good, what is still beautiful and how does that enhance what we see now in culture mm-hmm. is really like 
something that we as parents still get mm-hmm. to do in our rich by. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I think there's such a virtue of humility in that, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, it reminds me of um, what Jessica Houghton Wilson has talked about in reading for the love of God and mm-hmm. that you come underneath a text um, expecting that there would be something for you to be changed, something um, mm-hmm. for you to be learning um, rather than assuming a posture of um, coming on top of it. Like, what can I take from this? What can I mm-hmm. consume? Um, and I think what you're saying even about romanticism and the the culture now helps us get outside of ourselves to look at it. So the, the reading of the text helps us to look at it from a, a almost depersonalizes some of the contextual um, mm-hmm. water that we find ourselves swimming in. And we can see things anew um, when we, when we come under it from that angle. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that doing that alongside peers in a classroom is so valuable. It's hard to do it by yourself. It's hard to um, enter some of those conversations that are historical without uh, guidance. And, mm-hmm. and so I love that for the rhetoric stage. Yeah. And I think that that idea of like a having to be humble, I think so often we read a text and the first thing we think is like, I don't like it and I didn't get anything out of it. Mm. And that goes back to what we originally talked about, about Mm. like what we really often think reading should be about Mm. is education or is about entertainment and training. And so if there's nothing practical to take from this, why would I read it? If there's Mm. nothing if I didn't just get to sit and read this and, you know, as I fall asleep and it was so delightfully entertaining, why would I read it? And it's because it, it changes who we are yes. as we let it, but we have to let it, we have to be humble in that. Yes. Yes. Um, absolutely. So you had read something recently that kind of put this grammar logic rhetoric, um, way of reading into some interesting context. I think it'd be fun to share that. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, um, I came across a quote from the discarded image, um, by, by C.S. Lewis, which, um, is not talking about classical education. He's talking about medieval and Renaissance literature. Um, but he talks about how there are three uh, purposes in literature. One being to teach what is useful to, uh, honor what deserves honor and to appreciate the delightful. Um, and he says that the useful, the honorable, the delightful are superior to the literature and it exists for their sake. Uh, its own usefulness, honor, or delightfulness are derivative of theirs. And as I was talking to Sarah about this, we were, we were um, seeing the connection to the truth, the goodness, and the beauty, right? So he's using language of um, what is Uh, like to teach, um, honor and appreciate. And so I feel like the appreciation comes from the beauty and something. And we talked Mm -hmm. about how that reminds us of the grammar phase and how, um, we're not limited to the category of enjoyment and of beauty and appreciation, but that it is an essential component. And, uh, in the grammar stage, we start there. It's very natural, um, for our minds to be captivated by a story and to be caught up um, in a narrative. And so there's power in, um, literature's hold on our hearts uh, in that way. And then when he talks about um, um, teaching what is useful, it reminds me of um, the idea of learning for training, of being able to collect knowledge and have um, um, more in our brain, right? We're filling, we're filling our minds with, with truth. And Um, I think an important caveat mm -hmm. with that too, right? That's like the logic stage, but it's not just like, oh, I can use this tomorrow when I make dinner or in my meeting. Mm -hmm. It's 
it's about like the usefulness is knowing what is true and living in that way. Totally. Right. Discernment, right. Yeah. So teaching, not just the facts, but discern discernment within them. And Mm -hmm. then also, um, the connecting piece Mm -hmm. of, uh, it's useful because you can make those connections and you're able to, uh, be a more whole person in your thinking. Mm -hmm. Not Um, because it's like a skill I can apply right away. mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. And some of it, you know, you put, you put in the tank knowing you may not use it and Mm -hmm. it may form you later. And it is something Mm -hmm. that comes up later in life. And so there's that, Mm -hmm. um, kind of like an investment in, in the future. Um, and so then the, the last piece of the honor, like honoring what deserves honor. Um, I love thinking about that with alongside goodness, uh, um, our rhetoric students at that level, being able to interpret, um, virtues mm. out of a story and to, um, have categories for morality beyond their own circumstances. Um, <laughs> And to be able to honor um, those those pieces within um, literature, and so um, yeah. it was just fun to come across that and to, to be thinking through how uh, that is a means of entering the great conversation. You know, this yeah. as we swim in the classical waters and think about the trivium and um, mm-hmm. the ways that students progress. Uh, you see that there's a bigger. Uh, we're entering something bigger. We're not the originators of this thought, and we can mm-hmm. see pieces of it um, with, even in other thinkers in different times, mm-hmm. um, like Lewis does here. Yeah, I think I like the idea of honoring what is honorable sort of being the corner, the, the, that's what we're aiming for, right? Mm. That's the, um, the final pieces. If we have rhetoric school students and if we ourselves are going and honoring what is honorable, we can read any text with the spirit of charity and humility and find out what is honorable in this. What can I take away? And I, mm. I, I think we see that happening in our students. I was talking to a mom and she said that her student picked this book out from the library mm. that was like, Oh, okay. I guess you can read that. You know, when you're like, I think that looks okay. Mm. Um, and so it's a modern book, young adult book. And mm. at the end, the student said, what that book taught me is that you don't fully know what someone is going through. And often you'll think someone's not trying or not doing their best, but as mm. you get to know them, you see it just look different than you thought, or maybe they are prioritizing something else in their life right now. And so they're not showing up in math class in the way that you thought they should, but they are, they are showing up in other areas of life because mm. they have to. And I, and I think that's a student taking a book that was probably okay, but saw that book as part of the great conversation. Mm. Right. And we didn't really define the great conversation, right. But it's just this ongoing discussion among thinkers and writers about what is good, true and beautiful, who is God mm-hmm. and what is life for. And, and we, we are entering into that as co-teachers and teachers and students. And really we need these grammar logic rhetoric skills and ways of reading to enter that fully, um, mm-hmm. to give our students access to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Even thinking about how I've heard you say, is there how the rhetoric uh, stage never ends? We are mm-hmm. always um, in this season of um, discernment and honoring what is right. And isn't that just mm-hmm. true in how we live our lives and how we, what kind of humans we become and what we're, mm-hmm. um, what things we honor and what things hold value. And so there's even a modeling aspect of that, um, of this is, we just keep on with it. It continues. So mm-hmm. I love that piece. Yeah. And so I want to, talk with you about a couple practical ways. You know, you mm-hmm. might be thinking this is great. And then you're going to go pick up Beowulf and be like, but I, I don't like it and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> um, and so I want to talk about how we can actually get, you know, beyond just when we read a book being like, ah, oh, but I'm not entertained. What do I do now? Or I'm not getting anything from it. Should I really read this? And so a couple things to think about. Um, first of all is when you pick up a book, um, that might not be just an enjoyable beach read, uh, mm-hmm. you want to research the context. So you want to make sure, you know, like this is a text written in a historical time period. What was the great conversation then? What, who is this author? Not just because you're trying to critique it, not just because you are like saying, Oh, that's for that time. But just so you can understand a little bit more about what is going on. Like, um, we read Gulliver's travels last year as part of our early modern literature cycle and Gulliver's travels is totally, you will not understand why he's visiting 
talking horses on an island unless you understand the questions he's asking about humanity. And so often you need a guide through these texts. And if you're not a student at TCA, you don't get the wonderful guides that we have and are offering here, then you need to find your own guide. And so it's funny, we had our... TCAU is also a meeting of parents, uh, like once a, once a semester where parents get together and read texts. And it's funny because there was a TCAU meeting this summer and someone showed up and they were like, I only had time to read the spark notes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which, you know, like, haha, that's a no, no, but actually it's great. I mean, you actually spark notes are a good place to start in mm-hmm. terms of context, but I wouldn't end there. Um, if you read mm-hmm. the context for Scar- the spark notes for Scarlet letter, mm-hmm you will get one person's view of that text and what it's doing and what the author's saying. So find other resources as well, but, but don't be afraid to find resources and don't be afraid to move toward the tension. So if you read something and you're like, mm, I don't know if I like this, figure out why, try and have a conversation with the author. Don't just shut them down because you don't understand it. Th- that's entering into the great conversation, that uncomfortable part where you're like, I don't like you, Nathaniel Hawthorne, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when you actually get to start having a conversation with him and ask him what he's doing and what he has to offer us. Um, so we'll link some things in the show notes about, you know, there's some uh, other authors who talk about this, you know, but we'd encourage you to look at like Karen Swallow Pryor's book. She talks about some specific works, um, The Bibliophiles. That's a podcast that has very specific works that they walk through and reference mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is how you can access this gospel coalition has some really good literary guides, but sometimes your best guides are just your student's teacher or, um, mm-hmm. your other, other co-teachers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of, um, even as an adult, when I approach, um, scripture, like mm-hmm. I need context. I think about how that mm-hmm. applies to my life in Bible study and thinking about how, um, I don't understand necessarily the context that a letter is being written, um, by Paul. And so me knowing like, oh, this is what that culture was like, or this is what it mm-hmm. was just, um, enhances my ability to uh, learn from it. And so I just think mm-hmm. that there's such a, um, continuation of that too, of even what you were talking about before, where the context matters and helps us mm-hmm. as we think practically, um, about how to learn. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, so second first practical gather context, research the text, learn more, move toward the tension. Uh, second practical piece is keep on the journey. So we're all still on the journey of classical education, of reading, of asking what is a good life. Um, and so a lot of times you'll read something and you're like, okay, read that. Mm-hmm. But then later you'll read something else that will really illuminate it. Um, that will bring to life that story or the ideas that you read. And so we just want to encourage you keep on the journey. And the beautiful thing about a classical education is that as you continue to read these great works, you will start to see them ping off of each other. You'll start to see that like, you know, Beowulf speaks to Homer, which speaks to, you know, Milton and Paradise Lost, all these things are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And so there's richness in keeping on the journey. Don't, don't give up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of like when you hear a new word and you like, don't know that word. Mm. And then all of a sudden you see it everywhere, <laughs> you know, it'll be, it'll be popping up in your life. Um, and before you would never have noticed it, but because you had learned it or seen someone use it somewhere, um, there is like almost a, a delightful, like, aha, every time it pops <laughs> up in your life. And I think that happens with the texts as well. When you see themes in literature or, um, something that you didn't quite fully grasp, um, in a book, it comes in circles back in another text that comes mm-hmm. up in another setting um, or comes up in the word um, or you see the ways that the Bible informs that. And so mm. there's something um, powerful about uh, accessing things, even not all the way because it might mm. come back later. And it reminds me of that. And even like when you talk about it, the, the access like opens your mind up to new things. I'm thinking about last night, we may or may not have been watching the Husker game and there's a commercial with the Trojan horse, right? And so it's <laughs> not just even like the old text will be opened up to you. Well, they certainly will. But even 
a person who's classically educated who watches Hamilton sees things that other people don't see because mm-hmm. he's referencing classical texts. He's referencing Macbeth and founding documents and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's fun. Keep on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and our last practical tip is just to bring people along. So that's why we're so glad that you're a part of TCA, hopefully. And we're encouraging with TCAU to be joining the great conversation yourself. Um, this is not something just to give to our kids. We get to take it as a gift ourselves, um, to be learning and growing. And, um, really, isn't this what we're called to do as Christians is to Mm. continue to learn and be disciples. Um, and we see echoes of God's word in these texts. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. I think there's ways that, um, being a TCA parent alongside other TCA parents uh, encourages me to keep on keeping on. And so even when we're accessing things like the family read alouds mm-hmm. or, or different books that um, may not even be at the rhetoric level yet at, with their younger students, the ability to catch someone in the pickup line and, and talk about something that came up in a chapter we were reading mm-hmm. or to um, laugh together about something <laughs> that our kid said in re- relation to a book, you know, it builds um, connection and community in a way that um, helps spur me on and and uh, doing that with the kids is being able to do it with another adult so that our end is not just at home uh, in that one-on-one interaction, but that it, it broadens um, in our, in our TCA community. And so um, I love that we don't have to wait until we have rhetoric students, even for that to mm. be true in our community, we can um, be engaging in that. And it's encouraging as we do so. Yeah. And that's even your invitation, right? Those conversations are actually more interesting and better and happen more frequently when you read something that maybe you can't access at first, because you can be in the pickup line and be like, what was going on with the horses and Gulliver's travels, right? And so know, like, have those conversations. Um, We Mm -hmm. hope that you will. And we hope that you're encouraged by this podcast to to think about your own reading differently and to guide your students wherever they are in the journey to a type of reading that enhances their life and will really uh, change them. Um, And so we're just so glad to give our students this invitation and to be receiving it ourselves again and again. So thanks for joining us today.